All right, welcome back to Nerd is the New Cool. I'm Justin, and with me, as always, my trusty partner in crime, Mr. John. What's going on, bud? Not much, man. How you been? I don't know why I called you Mr. John. That was super weird. That is kind of weird. That's all right. <laughs> Mr. Lambert? Mr. Lambert's kind of weirder. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's more weird. Sounds more normal and <laughs> natural, though. Right, man. Things are going good. Just kind of trying to uh, stay out of the crazy heat. It's been very hot the last couple days. It has been. And it's been nice in the morning, but that doesn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a morning person. So. No, you're not. (laughs) No. If you could see the screen in my face right now, I'd be like, what happened to that guy last night? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's get going. Uh, We're going to start out with talking about what we just nerded out on. And. First of all, I want to say I'm really excited about this episode because in doing a lot of this research, I thought 90s TV was going to be the most difficult, but honestly, 2000s was pretty freaking tough too. I don't know how you felt about that. I mean, just looking at the amount of shows, because you kind of forget about a lot of stuff and just looking at all the shows that happened in the 2000s, yeah, it's it's on par with, with the 90s, just with like going through, it's like, I remember watching all of these some of them in their entirety some of them just little snippets but yeah it's it was definitely a big decade for us personally yeah and i feel like the 90s were a lot of nostalgia like growing up coming of age type stories that we were into and these are much deeper these shows for sure yes definitely so well the first one we're going to talk about and actually this is just what i just started out on and i just happened to watch the show the west wing again and i just learned before we started that you've never seen this show before never which is pretty crazy to me because i know that you like i feel like this is a show you would get into i probably Um, would it's i mean it's in typical alan sorkin for uh you know um fashion where he he dabbles a little bit about i mean it's all about politics obviously and i think he does a pretty good job of you know, with some of his other his other movies and shows, he's very, uh, how do I put this? Uh, he's just very left, right? He doesn't really give a good idea of looking at both sides of the picture. And this is definitely like more democratic. However, I think he does a good job of of kind of looking at how why each sides of the of the parties are doing the things they're doing, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. So, um, if you haven't guessed it already, you haven't seen the show. It's it's basically about the West Wing of the White House and the staffers, especially. I mean, the president's there, too, of course. He's an integral part of it, but it really is about most of the staff. It debuted September 22nd, 1999, and aired for seven seasons with 155 episodes. And the finale was May 14th, 2006. Um, like I said, it was created by Aaron Sorkin. He also have done, has done things like A Few Good Men, Charlie Wilson's War, Newsroom, Moneyball, and The Social Network. You've seen a lot of those, right? I've seen all of those, and Newsroom is a, is a show that I wish would have ran longer than, I think it only ran for two seasons, because that was, the first season of Newsroom is really good. Yeah, I think it ended up being three seasons, but I agree okay. with you. I, I, that one could have gone definitely a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So this stars Allison Janney as CJ Craig. You know her from The Help and Juno, and also that TV show Mom. Which is a mm-hmm. show that I, I can't believe that's still on, but it's like super popular. Have you seen that? No, I have not seen it, but yeah. I'm going to equate Mom to the show you're going to talk about here in a second, where it's one of those shows where after it came out a season, I'm like, that's going to get canceled. You can kind of tell what shows are going to get canceled, and then it didn't, and then it kept coming, and it kept coming. and it kept, I'm like, this show has to be good. It's kind of on my list of shows I want to watch. Just be like, why is this still going on? Just because it's been out for a long time. 
Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the same thing. After the first season, I'm like, there's no way that's going to last. That looks super silly and goofy. But it's, that's a great it's, show. It's so great. I know. Yeah. I watched it. I'm like, yeah, I should have been watching this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. See, it also stars John Spencer as Leo McGarry. You know him from The Rock and from War Games. In Rock, in The Rock, he's the he's the bad guy. Not, I mean, he's not. No, not, I mean, sorry, he's not the bad guy. He's the FBI person that hates Sean Connery's character. Oh, I got you. Yep. Okay. I'm blanking on his name right now, but you can picture his face. I'm sure. Yep. No, I got, know you're talking about. It's got my boy Bradley Whitford, who plays Josh Lyman. He's from Billy Madison and Billy Brooklyn Nine Nine. He's all. He's also from a show. I didn't put it on here, but it's called The Good Guys. It was a. It was a one season like ABC show, and quite honestly, that's a show that should have kept going. It's got like an eight point something rating on IMDb, and it just got canceled after a year, and it's very disappointing. Anyway, um, it also stars Martin Sheen as President Josiah Bartlett. He's you know, you know who Martin Sheen is. I don't have to tell you where he's from. Janelle Maloney as Donna Moss. She's also from The Leftovers. It's got Richard Schiff as Toby Ziegler, who you may know from Man of Steel, Lost World, and also Seven. Dulé Hill plays Charlie Hill. He's from Psych. Of course, we got to mention Rob Lowe, who plays Sam Seaborn, and well, he's from like everything in the '80s, as well as Parks and Rec and Wayne's World. Finally, we've got Joshua Molina, who plays Will Bailey. You know him from Scandal and Stockard Channing. She plays Josiah Bartlett's wife, Abby Bartlett, who you probably know from Grease. So like I was kind of saying earlier, this is definitely a show you, I think it's worth checking out. And if you are into anything dealing with politics, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or something else, it's certainly worth, worth seeing. So w- watch it, Lambert, will you? I will. I'll put it on my list of things to do. Yeah, please do. <laughs> things so things gonna, to watch. Things to watch. We're going we're gonna to have a long list after today. Yeah, we are. What's something you've been nerding out on? So this is actually something that I've that uh, Megan and I have nerded out on uh, at your suggestion. This is this this was a suggestion that came from you, and we nerded out on a TV show called The Good Place. It's so good, and and it's uh, without going into too much detail and spoilers or anything like that. It's basically about four people uh, who are in the afterlife, and the, it's kind of all about the struggle of the definition of what it means to be good. Hence, mm-hmm. The Good Place. Uh, it debuted on September 19th, 2016 on NBC. It only ran for four seasons, unfortunately. I've all I've seen the first three. I haven't seen the last one yet because it's not on Netflix and the whole season isn't on NBC. So, still waiting on that. It was 53 episodes and the finale actually aired this year on January 30th. There are so many quotes I want to use, I want to say from this show. And honestly, one of my favorite ones is from the final season. So I won't, I won't spoil it for you. So you, but you, so you can't say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, this show is just so, it's just an instant classic. And it's so clever. It's so well-written. I just can't say enough good things about it. It, it is very, like, honestly, that those are two, those are two things, you know, great words to describe the show. It is very well-written with kind of the twists and turns that happen within it. And just kind of working around the construct of, like, being in the good place and then also being on Earth and then, you know, referencing the bad place and uh, mm-hmm. it was created by Michael Schur, who was also the creator of the aforementioned Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he was also a writer on The Office, Parks and Rec and SNL. So he's got 
quite a good resume. That's a pretty amazing resume. Yeah. Yeah. This show has, I could have listed more people, but um, it's got quite a few people. So it stars Kristen Bell as Eleanor Shellstrop. And she's obviously from Frozen and Forgetting Cher Marshall, Marshall, Veronica Mars. And she's also the voice in Gossip Girl. William Jackson Harper as Chidi Aganaway. He was in the movie Midsummer. Jamila Jamil as Tahani Al-Jamil, who was pretty much just in this, but she was also in a show, um, a show How to Build a Girl. Darcy Cohen as Janet, who was in, also in Barry and Broad City. Manny Jacinto as Jason Mendoza, who has a, has a credit in Top Gun Maverick, so I want to kind of look for him when I see that. And he was also in Bad Times at the El Royale. Ted Danson as Michael, who's in a lot of things. Cheers, notably Becker, Three Men and a Baby, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Mark Evan Jackson as Sean, who is also in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, and he's, he's doing some voices for the new DuckTales, and he was the principal in Jumanji, the new one. Maya Rudolph as Judge, who was in Bridesmaids, Grown Ups, and The Way, Way Back. Jason Matsudakis as Derek Hostetler, who was in The League, The House, and The Dictator. I love that guy. Derek. And Derek. <laughs> Derek. Derek. And Hi, then Derek. Adam's, Adam, uh, he, he's, not in a, he's not in a lot of episodes, but Adam Scott as Trevor, who was in Step Brothers, and then also Parks and Rec. Um, uh, this show is just very entertaining it takes a different twist on kind of the afterlife and kind of exploring that and i do like the kind of twists and turns that that happen throughout the season i can't go into those because then it'll just ruin the show for everybody who hasn't seen it but um it's smart it's really funny Kristen bell is like the whole cast really plays off each other really really well and um i'm looking forward to seeing the last season and well unfortunately be sad that it is just the last season there are so many great comedians in this show too well i think that number one how many times has ted danson just reinvented himself as a different type of actor like to go from cheers and even before that he was in some other more serious roles mm -hmm. and then and then he kind of becomes sort of a comedic but like a but an actor that was in you know most mostly like feature length films and then basically to go on to a show like Bored to Death, which is kind of a comedy, and now to this, I mean, so many other things in between. Oh, and there was another show that he was in um, where he's like the main antagonist bad guy. Very dramatic role. So he just goes back and forth, which I think is just, that's just a testament to how great he is. And then you throw in there Jason, uh, Monsu I can't even say his name, Monsakis. Um, Monsukis. Monsukis. Yeah. Adam Scott, Maya Rudolph, even and and Darcy Cohen, she's one of those actresses and comedians that I never heard of, but apparently she's like a comedian's comedian that everyone knows about. So and she's great. Janet Janet is is my wife's favorite character, and she's pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome. I like Janet her. is pretty good. She's pretty great. <laughs> I actually like uh, what's his name, Sean. You know the the the, the guy from from Hell, basically the bad place. I think he's, the bad place. I think he's so funny. But anyway, I. Like, I, I, I and I like Janet when she plays Bad Janet because Bad Janet's hilarious. No, actually, Bad Janet's a different. No, it's a different character. But I do like Bad Janet too. Yeah. No, she she anyway. I'll, can't say enough good things about the Good Place. Definitely go check it out. It's pretty pretty <laughs> awesome. Definitely check it out. So now let's get into you know the meat and potatoes of the show. What we're going to talk about today. 
this is our second to last part of our TV series, which is kind of sad, but we're finally getting to a lot of the shows that I know, like I said, mentioned before, we've all watched a lot of, and you can see on almost every single streaming device, TV through the decades, the 2000s. The 2000s. So, and by the way, these are just, these are the 2000s, not the 2000 teens, which we'll do next time. Not to, not to confuse anyone. Right. You know, decade, 10 years. So a little bit of background. Really, this was a decade about technological advances when, as you know, when you're talking about consuming media, we started having things like blogs, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube all pop up. And then we also had pirating of movies and TV began with Napster, but then it also, then also LimeWire and quite a few other sharing services. Uh, we also had, I yeah, well, and I think there was, fro- I, there was Frostwire too. That was another one that I remember when I was looking at the list. Um, yeah. Smartphones obviously became a thing. And then the big step was, was DVRs. DVRs with TiVo, which I know we had a TiVo when we lived together. And then also just the ability to watch stuff on demand. Yeah, and so with, with all of these things being invented, we all started having a 24-hour news cycle. And as a result, <clears throat> a lot of television shows are having to do this as well. That you kind of were losing the time where there'd be a dead period for like seven or eight hours, and they just show reruns. They started putting programming in during that time as well. And we started having an expansion of non-network television. So show, or channels like AMC, FX, HBO, which existed before this, but we could argue like the popularity was really hitting in the early 2000s. Showtime, Cinemax, and there are plenty others we can keep naming. There's just so many non-network television channels. One, and it's and it's interesting because you're you're seeing that even more now, where you have it was just the expansion of original content instead of just playing with like HBO, just playing movies. It was they were doing original content, but then they started doing more. Showtime started expanding at Cinemax, and now you have. The streaming service is getting into that game. We'll talk about that in the next episode. But the, So it's just that general expansion. And then also the expansion of reality television. Again, it wasn't anything new, but now you had shows like Survivor, Bachelor, Joe Millionaire, The Amazing Race, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, The Osbournes, The Newlyweds, The Apprentice. And then at the end of the decade, I mentioned it, is when you start getting streaming services and Netflix starts coming into the fold. I think this is probably, so let's talk about the top 10 shows that were in 2000, 2001, and then that were in 2008, 2009. And there is a crazy stark difference that happened in yeah, 10 years. So in 2000, 2001, number one was Survivor. Number two was ER. Then we had Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Wednesday nights, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Tuesday nights, Friends, and then Monday Night Football. Which is always on the list for some reason. Well, because it's football. Um, Everybody Loves Raymond, and then Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on Sunday, Law and Order, The Practice, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Thursday, the original CSI, and then the show that you just mentioned, The West Wing. I mean, I, I'm so, we just have to, just in case anybody missed that, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is in the top 10 shows with four different nights. That's pretty ridiculous. We get into 2008, yeah. 2009, and, and a similar thing happens. So number one and two are both American Idol, Wednesday night and Tuesday night, Dancing with the Stars on Monday night, CSI, that's, that's still there, still kicking it with CSI, and then mm-hmm. NCIS was number five. 
And then we have The Mentalist at number six, Dancing with the Stars on Tuesday, Sunday Night Football, Desperate Housewives, and Grey's Anatomy, rounding out the top ten. And I guess if you think about it, the reason why all these – now, I don't – Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was just a great show. I mean, I was obsessed with watching that show, so I'm sure that I, I contributed to a lot of those, those ratings. But mm-hmm. American Idol and Dancing with the Stars, they had a really smart setup where the first night, I guess, for American Idol would be Tuesday, and then Wednesday they'd reveal who got cut off, at, right? And then they'd kind of repeat that model every week. Same thing with Dancing with the Stars. So you had to tune in the next night. Otherwise oh, – yeah. How would you know if your votes counted? I mean, my wife was Smart. telling me rec- she was telling me recently that she used to log in with all of her fr- her, her sisters and her friends and her family and vote for this thing. I never voted for anybody, but no, uh, me neither. She was one of those people, and I, and I, a lot of people did it. So, <laughs> yeah, so reality television is really uh, really kicking it right now. Some honorable mentions that we didn't choose from for the two thousands, and there are just so so many. <laughs> Arrested Development, 30 Rock, Sopranos. And listen, we could, we could, I think we need to consider going back and like spending an entire episode talking about a lot of these shows like Arrested Development and 30 Rock and Sopranos, right? And we said this, I mean, we had said the same thing during the 90s episode. Like we could, we could, we could have dove in, like we could spend the next two years diving in on all the 90s shows that we watched and all of, you know, now the risk, like that was just the first few with the rest that we list. We could just spend the entire lifespan of this podcast diving into these shows if we really wanted to. So many amazing ones. One I didn't watch, but one that was pretty popular during the 2000s was Desperate Housewives. Did not watch it either. Curb Your Enthusiasm, Six Feet Under, one that's near and dear to your heart, 24, The Hmm. Office, how I Met Your Mother, The Shield, which I haven't watched, but I've heard really good things about. So uh, it's something that I'm probably going to have to go back and watch. Yeah, I've seen a few episodes of that. I, I should go back and watch it. I watch it too. Dexter, which I was into. Same thing with Nip Tuck, which are both, I mean, both those shows are pretty, pretty messed up. If you think about kind of the concept mm-hmm. of both of them. Mm-hmm. I guess I was, I was into that. The Daily Show, Entourage, Two and a Half Men, House. We got Weeds, In Treatment. The Practice, Malcolm in the Middle, Boston Legal, Monk. Monk's one of those that I, I would catch every once in a while. It was a pretty good, pretty good show, like a little sitcom. I guess it wasn't really a sitcom, but it was, it was, it was a humorous take on Detective, which was pretty great. Damages, yeah. of course, we got to mention South Park, which, again, not all of these debuted in the 2000s, but a lot of them were like hitting like peak popularity. I mean, they had a full feature-length movie that was one of my favorites, for sure. Hilarious. Bigger, bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> I always laugh about that when I hear people talk about how, they, how they, they walked out of that film. Not people I know personally, but the therapy, because everyone I know personally would not walk out of that film. They'd want to watch no. it again. Uh, but the like, the parents going in there be like, I, it was a cartoon, and I, I, had to take, I took my four-year-old there. Like, what are you? Do you not have you never seen South Park before? What, what are you wrong thinking? With Ugh, anyway, I digress. Deadwood, another great one. Timothy Oliphant is fantastic in that. Family Guy, The Tudors, one that we watched together a lot. Flight of the Concords was so good. Oh, awesome. That was another Friday, one that was cut cut way too short. Sorry. It was cut way it was cut short, but I think that was probably their their idea, not really HBO's idea. Well they said uh, that they like they were having a hard time coming up with songs. And that's why they 
they had to because that I mean the whole show is basically like a, exactly yeah it, they, they would tie their songs into the plot and it was admittedly that's probably pretty hard to do yeah um friday night lights the colbert rapport which i really miss that show i mean good for him that he got late night but i miss his basically his alter ego yeah, law, order, law and order svu my name is earl rescue me the closer <clears throat> if you haven't seen rescue me you need to you need to watch it have you seen it dennis leary i'm not but i love dennis leary oh, okay well it's i mean the premise is basically it's post 9-11 and it's the firefighters in in uh, new york dealing with the fallout from that and it's so good it's not supposed to be a comedy but if you know you know dennis leary he says some pretty funny things yeah uh big love was a big one that my actually my wife just finished watching that psych sex and the city of course law and order criminal intent there are a lot of law and orders popping up freaks and geeks but we also had the office the uk version and then Doctor Who, which anybody who watches Doctor Who knows that show's been going on for like 30 years, but it was still popular in the 2000s. The X-Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, The L World, The Adventures of Old Christine. One of of my personal favorites, Smallville, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Oz, which, you know, a lot of people talk about on HBO that a show that put hbo on the map and and they always mention sopranos and the wire i I think oz is is i mean pound for pound one of the best shows they've ever they've ever released great great show yep yeah the ali g show csi (laughs) that show is so ridiculous csi uh crime scene investigation so the original we also had chuck we had everybody hates chris lie to me futurama saving grace and then we also had uh, several high-profile miniseries, one of which that we've discussed on this podcast, Band of Brothers, but then also John Adams and Angels in America. And one that was not mentioned, and I have to give you, I don't know if this was on purpose, that you didn't put it on this list, because Justin did a lot of the prep for this episode, especially for the stuff that we've been talking about now. Scrubs is not on this list. Oh, well, I think that maybe we're going to have to have a full show talking about <laughs> Scrubs. And I guess I should have probably mentioned it. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about that in the near future, about Scrubs. Fan- because Fantastic show. Because we have to talk about Scrubs. Yes, we do. So, <clears throat> um, there are future shows that hopefully will, and, and again, these these are other shows that I think that we need, definitely need to talk about Um maybe go into rescue me talking about nine eleven south park anyway i just kind of made a list of shows that we need to go on go into more in depth about um in the future because there's so many great 2000 television shows that we'd be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about them a little bit right right but we are going to spend some time talking about a couple yeah so let's start out with with a show you're probably wondering why was that not on the list and that's called the show it's a show called lost and so I, I I chose this kind of reluctantly because it's a very controversial show, especially the ending. And I know people are still very pissed off about the way it ended. But I'm I'm going to try and justify why I kind of understand what the thing the decisions they made. And, and this again, this may piss some people off, but 
I don't care because having watched it like three times now, I appreciate it more every time I see it. So, so spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happened in Lost, you can, if you haven't seen Lost and you don't want it to be spoiled, probably don't listen to the rest of this part of the podcast because we're definitely going to spoil some things for sure. <laughs> I mean, we're just going to talk about the whole, the whole show, so it's hard not to spoil it. So what's the plot about? Well, a, a plane crashes on this remote, deserted tropical island, and they are trying to survive. That's pretty much the gist. That's how the show starts with them mm-hmm. waking up. Well, specifically Jack, the main character, waking up on an island with wreckage and people running around screaming. Yeah. So let's so talking about that plot, let's go into a little bit of the background of <clears throat> kind of how the show came to be. So while on vacation with his family in Hawaii in the summer of 2003, the then chairman of ABC Entertainment, Lloyd Braun, watched the network's broadcast of Castaway, another great Tom Hanks movie, and thought the concept would make for an interesting TV show. So Tom Thurm, or Tom Sherman, who was the current ABC head of drama <clears throat> development, liked the idea and hired fledgling writer Jeffrey Lieber, who had written a show called Tuck Everlasting, which I remember that show, but I don't remember anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, so he was hired to work on it, and it was originally called Nowhere. But the draft didn't really live up to Braun's expectations, and Lieber was taken off the project. This is kind of important because then Braun reaches out to a name we all know, J.J. Abrams, who was working on a show called Alias. Lieber actually got was credited on the completed show, even though he didn't really do much. He was credited as created by, even though, he, like I said, he didn't. J.J. Abrams pretty much took over the show. Right. But because Abrams was so busy, the network also approached a young writer named Damon Lindelof. Which a lot of you may recognize Damon Lindelof from a show like The Leftovers, and he's done a bunch of other ones too. <laughs> so Lost aired September 22nd, 2004. It was on for 118 episodes, and the finale was May 23rd, 2010. So as we mentioned, it was created by J.J. Abrams. Uh, people, he, Star Trek, Star Wars, Super 8, he's pretty well known. Jeffrey Lieber, who also did Impulse and Don't Look Deeper. And then Damon Lindelof, as you mentioned, uh, did The Leftovers. He also did Watchmen, and he was also involved in Star Trek as well. And just like much many television shows, it's directed by a lot of people, but the person who directed the most episodes was Jack Bender, and this guy also directed The Last Ship and a few episodes of The Sopranos. Nice. And it stars Jorge Garcia as Hugo Hurley Reyes, who was also in the Alcatraz TV show, Josh Holloway as James Sawyer Ford, who is from Mission Impossible, Stars Yunjin Kim as Sunhua Kwan, and she's from Mistresses. Evangeline Lilly as Kate Austin, who you may know from the Ant-Man, Ant-Man the Wasp. Also mm-hmm. stars Terry O'Quinn as John Locke, who is from Young Guns and the Rocketeer. Stars Navin, Naveen Andrews as Syed Jara, who is also in The English Patient. Matthew Fox as Dr. Jack Shepard from We Are Marshall. And Daniel Day Kim as Jin Su Kwan from Hawaii Five O. A lot of the actors we could probably say had like their their peak acting credits while this show was either on or immediately afterwards, except maybe for Terry O'Quinn and I guess Evangeline Lilly. But Terry O'Quinn, he's been a lot, he's been in a lot of things. That guy's pretty well known <laughs> before this. 
So what are some nerd facts? Well, so among Lindelof's initial pitches to Abrams was the suggestion that the castaways discover a hatch in the middle of the jungle and spend the whole first season trying to open it, which is what basically happened for half the season. So, And Abrams originally wanted Michael Keaton for the role of Jack. And speaking of Jack, John Hamm also auditioned for that role as well. Which I, I think is, <clears throat> as, a, as a lost aficionado, those two being Jack just, just seem odd. I just don't know, especially Michael Keaton. I almost feel like he was a little bit too old for the role, but he also is like a chameleon. That dude could probably pull it off. Like I would believe, I believe, I mean, he, you know, he's a pretty great actor. He John probably Hamm, could. Though. Yeah. John Hamm. I don't know about that. I don't know if he's, I guess he's been in serious roles, but it's just hard to picture somebody else besides uh, Matthew Fox. Anyway, <clears throat> the character of Jack was supposed to die midway through the pilot episode. Steve McPherson, the then president of ABC, argued that killing Jack would make viewers not trust the show. And when the plan changed, Keaton was out. So I guess Michael Keaton wanted to be in there just to get killed off in the first episode. Then he was like, see you later. <laughs> and the scene, if you're wondering, when was he going to die? And this is a pretty, pretty big moment in the first episode. His scene instead went, his death scene instead went to Oceanic 815's uh, co-pilot who's played by Greg Grunberg, who's Abrams' friend since kindergarten, and a former star of two of his other series, Alias and Felicity. So that guy died instead of Jack. And it's interesting to me that, that they said, like, ah, we don't want to kill someone off because the viewers won't trust the show, but then you have a show, like, most notably, like, Game of Thrones, who kills off main characters like they're, like they're nothing, and nobody had any qualms about that at all just very interesting and they do they do kill off some semi main characters but you can always tell and this is one of those shows you can kind of tell who's about to get it based on like who who's learned the most during this episode and then all of a sudden (laughs) they got they're gone (laughs) so Forrest Whitaker was originally cast as Sawyer but backed out to direct First Daughter, which coincidentally starred Michael Keaton as the President of the United States. The story goes that though Sawyer was originally meant to be an, an older city con artist from, the, from Buffalo, New York, Holloway forgot a line at his audition and subsequently kicked a chair and loudly swore in frustration. The writers reportedly liked the edge he brought to the character and decided to write Sawyer as more of a Southern con man instead. Dominic Monaghan also read for Sawyer, before being cast as Charlie. I mean... That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> Sawyer, that character... I'm sure, for again, Forrest Whitaker, just like Miles Keaton, probably could have would have done an amazing job with this, but mm-hmm. just so, it's so hard, to, so hard to picture him as Forrest Whitaker. That just seems weird. <laughs> Abrams first noticed uh, Jorge Garcia on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm and was determined to cast him. And Garcia actually initially read for the role of Sawyer because Hurley didn't even exist yet. The only member of the principal cast who didn't have to audition was Terry O'Quinn, who had worked with Abrams on Alias. He played the FBI director, Kendall. Terry O'Quinn, so great. Yunjin Kim, who plays Sun, originally read for the character of Kate. The producers felt she was not what they were looking for in Kate, but decided to create a new character for her along with a spouse. That's kind of cool about a show like this is that you can kind of, I mean, it's about a bunch of people who, who wrecked on, a, on an island. So you're, you're, you're potential, it's limitless of, of who you can have on that plane with you, right? 
Exactly. You can, you can, you can put, take any persona from any walk of life and say, boom, they were on this plane too. And they kind of do that. Although in the cast list, Sun Hua is listed as having her husband's last name of Quan. In real life, it's, you, it's highly unusual for Korean women to take their husband's last name. So that wouldn't really have happened. Yen Jin Kim originally thought that Sun was too stereotypical and submissive, but agreed to take the role after being convinced by J.J. Abrams. Executive producer Carlton Cruz and Lindelof had wanted to cast Lance Reddick for the part of Mr. Echo, but he was unavailable due to The Wire. Reddick eventually joined the show in season four as Matthew Abaddon, a mysterious employee of Charles Widmore. So Mr. Echo, who is my favorite character, just to let you know throughout the whole show, died way too early. Anyway, the name Mr. Echo was Ikenue Agbaje's, I think I may have gotten that right, own creation. He suggested they change the original name of his character, which was supposed to be Omeka, to Echo, which is consistent with the character's own Nigerian tribal lineage. He also noted they should add a Mr. Um, Carlton and I, and basically this is, this is what Lindelhoff is saying, Carlton and I looked at each other like it was the silliest thing in the world. Then we kept saying it, and we realized there was something really cool about it. Yeah, because Mr. Mr. Echo is the coolest character on the show. The, it's and, a cool name. Is, it's awesome. He's just such a badass. <laughs> the original plan was for Mr. Echo to stay on the show for at least four seasons, but the main actor was released from his contract only after, after only one season because he wanted off the show. So I, I'm very sad because of that. And that happens. Ian Summerhalder, who played Boone, was the first actor cast on the show and was also the first to be killed off. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Jeremy Davies researched his character so deeply that some of the equations Faraday writes for Desmond in the flashbacks in season four were written by Davies himself. He plays a good Desmond. That's, uh, I, I guess it's hard for me to say Mr. Echo is my favorite character. He is, but Desmond's a close second. The Dharma Initiative, which is a huge plot point throughout the entire show, was originally called Medusa Corp. Carlton Cruz, who again was a screenwriter, producer, and director of Lost, was stuck on the last number of the notorious 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42 number combination, which is another thing that kind of runs throughout the course of the show. He came up with the idea of 42 as, an, as playing an homage to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in which it's the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Lindelof had the same idea, which made it official. Of the six numbers, 23 is used the most, and the first four numbers appear in ABC's ABC Studios logo. And one more thing about the numbers, which I think this is actually, I like to think this is where it came from, but I guess it's not. The numbers also form the coefficients in an equation that predicted mankind's extinction, which is called the Valenzetti equation. Maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's planned. You guys can decide. I vote planned. You don't do that. You don't do something like that if it's not planned. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> I, but, but the thing is, though, about this show, you know, J.J. Abrams was super involved the first couple seasons, and then he moved on past this. So I think a lot of the things that were kind of set up really maybe didn't or executed possibly as well as people would have liked. So I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence, but you never know. 
Jorge Garcia, who played Hurley, appeared on How I Met Your Mother as a character named The Blitz, who had terrible luck, just like his character on Lost. Then, later in the episode, someone asked him for a random phone number, and he used his lottery ticket number from Lost that brought him back to bad luck for a 15, 16, 23, 42. That number, it's stuck in my head. I'll remember it forever. Michael Emerson, who played Ben, was originally a cast for only for a few episodes in season two. But the producers were so impressed with his performance, they cast him as a regular and rewrote his part to feature him more prominently. In Ben Linus's flashback scenes, Carrie Preston, who is the real-life mother of Michael Emerson, plays adult Ben, plays young Ben's mother. It's a weird, weird little family connection there. Charlie's shoulder tattoo reads... Living is easy with eyes closed. This is a lyric from the song Strawberry Fields Forever by the Beatles. And then also during Charlie's heroin scenes, Dominic Monaghan is actually snorting brown sugar. Hmm. I, I would imagine that doesn't feel too good. Um, no, probably not. I think smoke snorting anything can do it. So in the show, Charlie is in a band called Drive Shaft, whose only hit was called You, you All Everybody. That song can be heard in the background of an episode of Alias in 2001, which is, again, another show created by J.J. Abrams. There were more than 50 babies, or more than 50 babies portrayed baby Aaron over the course of the series. So also going back to Charlie, when he held heroin in his hand after quitting, Dominic Monaghan patterned his performance after that of Andy Serkis in the Lord of the Rings film, as Gollum holding the One Ring, Serkis based his performance as Gollum Smeagol on an on a heroin addict. Which yeah, I, I can kind of makes Smeagol, sense. Smeagol is kind of a drug addict of the ring. He really <laughs> is. Yeah, that's that's his fix, and he needs his fix. Yeah. <clears throat> the ornate tattoos on Jack's shoulders are Matthew Fox's own. So look, so I think it's really important to talk about what these characters are supposed to represent because there's just so many connections to to religion to theology to whatever you want to call it so let's first let's let's start with jack jack shepherd and it's i mean it's well known that damon lindelhoff and carlton cues were serious fans of charles dickens apparently and his ability to write character driven stories so dickens in his early years had a friend and mentor named william harrison ainsworth and as Charles Dickens was enjoying the fame of his of the, like his first publication of Oliver Twist, Ainsworth was working on his serial novel, novel Jack Shepard. And so the fictionalized histories of both publications kind of overlapped one another. So there's a little bit of connection there with Charles Dickens and good old Jack Shepard. Yeah, Ainsworth also authored Aurelio of the Elixir of Life. This book has an interesting chapter entitled The Tomb of the Rose... Oh my God, Rosicrucian, concerning a character's search for a hidden burial place. The legendary founder of Rosicrucianism was named Christian. Jack spent his entire time on the island wondering where the final resting place of his father, Christian, really was. We also know that Jack's number is 23. In the finale, Kate even jokes about Jack's father's name, Christian Shepherd. It's clear that there's a deliberate allusion of Jack's last name to Psalm 23, which begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Too many connections. There's so many connections. And again, <laughs> we, we, should, we should mention, if we haven't already, or if you, if you haven't seen the show or you're not that familiar, 
every one of these main characters has a number associated with it, with them. And and that's their candidate number. So Jax is 23 that you see written on a wall at some point in the, in the show. So he's 23 and that's, there's, there's why that kind of makes sense. Why he'd be number 23. All right. Kate Austin. That's the next, next person we should talk about. Kate's name is a reference to Catherine Ann Porter, who was an early 20th century author. Her most famous work, Ship of Fools, and the metaphor conjures a picture of people, people blissfully pursuing the shallow offerings of life while unaware that they are missing out on the real meaning behind life's journey. Here's the fun little connection. Finally, the last name Austin is an allusion to, to Jane Austen, primarily for her novel Sense and Sensibility, which explores the balance between the scientific approach to life and the mystical approach. So the next character we're going to talk about is John Locke. John Locke was an Enlightenment thinker. The philosopher, John Locke, (laughs) grappled with the roles of both faith and reason in human consciousness, but in the end held firm that both are valid and both work together. This idea of faith standing toe-to-toe with reason figures prominently into Locke's character into Lost Character Arc of John Locke. Locke was known as the man of faith. He believed in the island, but not without many trials that would test his faith to the limits. Yeah, Locke, Locke is a very interesting character. He's very, um, be very polarizing to a lot of people because he kind of is fo- fo- like follows blindly faith, which, you know, goes back to the actual John Locke. Mm-hmm. James Ford, who's also nicknamed Sawyer, this name has a ton of possibilities because um, it's basically so common, but I kind of think it maybe references James Ishmael Ford, who's a Zen Buddhist who authored a book entitled This Very Moment. One of the many concepts in Zen, or many concepts in Zen Buddhism is to focus on the present instead of the past, the future, and to seize it for your soul. And this dude, Sawyer, uh, really just focuses on the present at all times. Doesn't really think about consequences, tries to avoid also what happened to him in the past as well or ignore it, sort of. Hugo Reyes is a direct reference to the author Hugo Reyes, a Belgian author whose works are a revolt against the everyday grind. Reyes uses a mixture of reality and supernatural events to help his readers revolt and escape a humdrum life, particularly life that is simply going with the flow of culture without questioning the deeper purpose of living. We, we talked a lot about Echo, but let's talk about his name. Umberto Echo is a famous Italian author. His third book is entitled The Island of the Day Before, involving a man stranded on a ship on one side of the international dateline with an island on the other. The protagonist's writings indulge in an increasingly confused speculation of the physical, metaphysical, and religious import of the dateline. This book lends credence to, to the theory on the location of the island as well. Richard Alpert's name is an obvious reference to the spiritual teacher Ram Das. Das was born Richard Alpert and later changed his name. He authored the book Remember, Be Here Now, another work emphasizing the importance of living in the now versus the past or present. Ram Das, or Richard Alpert, was also an early leader at the Asalen Institute, an organization eerily similar to the Dharma Initiative. Its purpose is to help humans achieve their full potential focusing on mysticism, art, music, and more. Finally, we've got Danielle Rousseau. Her name is a reference to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, 
the 18th century Enlightenment philosopher, created creator of the good savage theory, which is a view that defends that man is born free and pure and is subsequently corrupted by society and civilization. And honestly, there are so many more connections and weird religious symbolisms and I guess like spiritual, I mean, we could just keep going on and on. We could spend an entire episode just talking about like the, the, the symbols and things that occur throughout the show Lost. That's not what we're here to do. But just so you know, when you're watching the show, it is very cleverly done and they, and they do, they do touch on the mysticism and, and like I said, the religion. And that's kind of a big reason why I like it. Well, it sounds like a show that like everything you're seeing is done on purpose. Yeah. So like the, like the characters names are on purpose. The numbers are on purpose, like how the characters are developed. Like, there's nothing that's like, ah, we'll just throw that in. It's very well thought out. And this is coming from someone who has not seen the show, but it just seems like based on all of this information, it's very well thought out, I, I guess, apparently, until so you get to the end. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it, there was a lot of thought that was put into the character development of the show. Well, what's impor- I think what's important to, to remember is that there is a lot of symbolism that happens throughout the show but you can't be simply stuck on that because not everything does mean something. And I think that a lot of people got hung up on that. Like, well, what is that supposed to mean? Well, sometimes it's just what's, 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 it's, a, it's, it's something that's driving the plot. It's not a major um, concept that you have that's going to be interwoven through the entire, the entire there's show. Not, there's not a deeper meaning. Yeah. So let me, let me get on my soapbox real quick about why this show doesn't end as poorly as a lot of people think it does. And again, if you haven't watched the last season, Fast forward for about 60 seconds, maybe a little bit longer. But, you know, the, the whole point of the show, here, here's why people were turned off by it. And, I, and it, co- it goes straight to marketing. All right. I remember when this last season was ending. And every week there'd, there'd be advertisements for the show and would say, all of your questions will be answered next week on Lost. And then the next week would come around and there were hardly any answers, que- or any questions answered. And often there'd be more questions. I'd be like, what, the, what just happened there? And then the advertising would come in and it would say, all your questions will be answered next week. And it was just trying to get people to tune in. If they hadn't have done that, I think people wouldn't have had their hopes up so high because the point is, I think in the end of the show is for you to interpret what you think has happened. And Lindelof has come out and, he, come out and so has J.J. Abrams saying, here's what we kind of think was going on. Were they dead the whole time? Uh, is this because again back to religion it's it's a little bit about it does a lot of flashing back and forth in their previous lives and then lives on the island and the post post island life etc even like an alternative reality at one point and so it's like well are they in are they in heaven are they in hell like where where are they existing right now in reality and i think the fun part about the show is kind of think about it for yourself and what do you think happened and that's why I love it so much as I've watched it more and more is that I really do feel like, I, I don't know. I, I like that I can interpret and not have to have the, the questions shoved down my throat because a lot of times shows do that for you and they're not quite exactly the answers that you originally wanted, like Game of Thrones, for example. Yep. Sorry, I had to mention Game of Thrones there for a second and, and crap on them <laughs> again. <clears throat> so anyway, if you like a fun show that is it's pretty intense, little suspenseful, definitely some twists and turns, and honestly, just very thought-provoking. Check it out. The first season is by far the best season, but I do think that there's, 
it's worth watching it all the way to the end. There's my lost take. <laughs> I like You're welcome. it. Thanks. You're welcome, America. <laughs> all right. What so, are, what do you? What's your show? The show that I chose is something that um, actually Megan and I started rewatching. We're like two episodes in, so we're not very far into it yet. Is The Wire? The Wire essentially is a show surrounding the Baltimore drug scene, but it's seen through the eyes of the drug dealers and law enforcement. My wife and I just watched this whole series right around quarantine time. We finally were like, well, what else are we going to do? We watched the whole thing because everyone talks about how it's the best show of all time. And we'll get to that at the end. But it it is pretty darn good. It aired June 2nd, 2002 on HBO. That was its debut for five seasons, 60 episodes total. And the finale was March 9th, 2008. And it was created uh, by David Simon, uh, who also did Homicide, Life on the Streets, and The Corner. And he also wrote, he had writing credits on every single episode. And then the next person who had the most writing credits was Ed Burns, not actor Ed Burns, novelist Ed Burns, who also had writing credits on Generation Kill, which is, I think, something that you mentioned that Jana really enjoyed. Yeah, she loves, that. She, she loves that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, again, like all of these TV shows, there's a lot of different directors, uh, but Joe Chappelle and Ernest R. Dickerson did six episodes each. Right. So the show stars Dominic West as the main character, pretty much. He plays Detective James Jimmy McNulty. He's also from Chicago, 300, and The Forgotten. Stars Wendell Pierce as Detective William Bunk, that's his nickname, Moreland, who you might know from Selma, Chicago PD, as well as Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. Great show. Uh, Lance Reddick as Lieutenant Cedric Daniels, who was in all of the John Wick series and also in Bosch. John Doman as Deputy Commissioner of Operations, William A. Rawls, who was in Mercury Rising, Mystic River, M- Mystic River, and the TV show Gotham. Deirdre Lovejoy plays Assistant State's Attorney Rhonda Perlman, who's also she's also in the Blacklist and Raising Dion. Sonia Sohn as Detective Shakima Kima, so nicknamed Kima Greggs. She's also in Shaft and The Chai. Seth Gilliam as Sergeant Ellis Carver, who is in Starship Troopers, The Walking Dead, and Courage Under Fire. And everybody that we just listed was in all 60 episodes, or they were credited to be in every single episode of the series. It's probably unfair of me to say that Jimmy is the main character. I I think a lot of things are looked at from the perspective of Jimmy, but but there are some episodes later on down the road where he kind of takes a back seat. He's maybe not as... I think the main character shifts is what I'm saying. It does. It absolutely does. And you kind of get that from just the amount of people that are in the show. And while those all, all those people had 60 credits, some of these, some of the people that we're going to list also have like 50 plus episodes. So it's not like they weren't a big part of the show. Can I also add something real quick about Seth Gilliam? It was super odd because this, I'm watching this after having watched walking dead. And he's playing Father Gabriel, and he's kind of a pansy, and he is, um, well, he's just a very—he's a weak link in the early 
seasons that he's he's in the show and then to see him in this show where he's kind of a badass kicking mm-hmm. down doors beating up people like it's it's it takes a while to get used to that and i really i really <laughs> did not like seth gilliam and now i really like seth gilliam after having watched the wire so he's pretty awesome so it also has dominic lombardozzi as detective thomas perk hulk he was in he was in ray donovan rosewood and the family he's also an entourage he is also an entourage he's dom he's dom yeah i figured you'd, you'd know that it stars or another character in the show is Clark Peters, who plays Detective Lester Freeman. He's from Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, as well as John Wick. Also stars Andre Royo as Bubbles, Reginald Bubbles Cousins, who you may know from Empire and The Collection. He might be my favorite character in the show, by the way, besides Jimmy. Bub- Bubbles is pretty good. Michael Kenneth Williams as Omar Little, who is in Boardwalk Empire and... 12 Years a Slave, who is also sorry. a really good character in this show. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I got I, I don't know why. I just I, I forgot about Omar, which is ridiculous, because Omar is the best character in the show, without, hands down. Um, Idris Elba is, was Russell, Russell Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell. He's in Thor Ragnarok, Beast of No Nation, Hobbs and Shaw, Molly's Game. He's, it's Idris Elba. You, you guys know who he is. He's and then Wood Harris as Avon Barksdale, who was in remember the titans and uh, i could have listed more people like a young 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 michael b jordan is also in this uh, yeah. so there's just a, there's a ton of people in this he looks like and he is a kid because he just it's so weird seeing him now it's so weird he, seeing him in that show and like looking at like him and like creed <laughs> i know and it, it's weird yeah I, I don't know how old he is in the show but he's definitely he's in his teens early teens <clears throat> yes definitely yeah, it, it's so, it, it's got so many characters in the show. It, it's there actually sometimes where it gets a little. It's kind of like, well, it's like Sopranos. I'll use I'll use Sopranos instead of Game of Thrones. It's got they've got a lot of characters and they mention all these people and you kind of have to keep track of who the heck are they talking about and a lot of the names sound similar, <laughs> right? Yes, and it's, just, and, and it's but it makes sense because it's a very intricate intricate weave of of the drug trade just in one city in Baltimore. And, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of players in that and may, and they do a good job of portraying it is what I'm saying, but it's hard to keep they up do. sometimes. So into some nerd facts about this show, the character bubbles again, played by Andre Royo was largely based on a real Baltimore drug addict and police informant who went by that name, the real bubbles who would slur his speech more, much more than the fictional character first started working with the cops near the early 1960s after being arrested for a burglary. He spent the next few decades as an informant, leading to the arrest of several hundred felons and getting paid at least $50 for each one caught. It's a nice little bonus. Mm-hmm. His, he, was, he had a near photographic memory and ability to blend into the scene that made him one of the best informants in the city. Eventually, he would start using the actual hat method that was portrayed on the series where he acted as if he was selling hats that would place one of a certain color on the head of those, the people should arrest, which is, which is so, which is so clever. (laughs) And they do that really, really early in the series. Like, I don't know if it's the first episode or the second episode, but it's, it's, they, they make reference to that hat method very early on. Yeah. It's real early. So also speaking of Andre Royal while filming, 
he was once approached by a Baltimore resident who handed him a package of heroin and said he looked like he needed a fix. Royo called this his street Oscar. <laughs> and he did, he did a fantastic job in this show. Dominic West didn't think the show would last. That's one of the main reasons why he took the show. According to West, he landed the role by doing his best Robert De Niro impression, but was reluctant to take the job since it meant signing a five-year contract to live in Baltimore. His agent eased his fears by telling him, don't worry, it'll only last one season. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm right. <laughs> then so many seasons later. <clears throat> yeah. So, so one of the inspirations for Avon Barksdale, a lot of people think, is this person called Melvin Williams, who trafficked heroin in Baltimore throughout the 70s and 80s to the tune of, and this is what he said, a couple hundred million dollars worth. Williams was arrested in 1985 following a wiretap investigation led by Ed Burns. Shortly after, while working for The Sun, Simon, who is the series creator, wrote a series of articles on Williams's titled on Williams titled Easy Money, colon, Anatomy of a Drug Empire. Williams served time in jail on and off until 2003 and played the role of West Side string puller the Deacon in seasons 3 and 4. So at least I mean, he's got to be it's got to be about him, especially if he if you played a, a character in the show later on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Simon, in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, said that the wire was canceled after season three, and the wire was nearly canceled again. I had to grovel and beg and plead after season four. Despite the difficult journey getting five seasons of the wire made, Simon praised HBO for allowing him to finish his story without too much interference. Entertainment Weekly, so we're on the same we're on the same wavelength here, included Omar Little in its list of the sixteen ultimate TV antiheroes at position number three in the July fifteenth, twenty twelve issue, after Walter White from Breaking Bad and Tony Soprano from The Sopranos. Those are number one and two respectively. Side note, this is also President Obama's favorite character on the show. And he you just root for him. You root for him and, and it's so funny as he's walking through the streets, whistling and killing like other, dr- I mean, he's not a good dude. He's a very bad person. He's a but, vigilante, but you totally root for him. Yeah. And you're like, no, I yeah. get, I get where Omar's coming from. Yep. He's robbing, he's robbing the drug dealers. Yes. <laughs> and also, I mean, I, I, yeah, he's just so, and he's so funny the way he does it. It's a lot. Of, it's very boondock saints esque where it's, well, they're yeah. only killing bad. They're only killing bad guys. They're not killing good people. So don't do bad things and you don't have to worry about Omar. I'm sure there were scenes that were not meant to be funny and maybe a twisted mind like myself is the one laughing at these scenes, but man, it's pretty ridiculous. The things he, he does in the show. I love it. So I did mention this, all the whole eight actors are billed in the opening credits for all 60 episodes. Daniels is the character who actually appears in the most 58 out of 60. And going back to Omar, Omar is the only character not to use major profanity. Michael Kenneth Williams was even given permission to remove any curse words from his dialogue if any mistakenly got put in. <laughs> Which just makes him so much cooler. He didn't even need the cuss. He's he just, just killed like, people. I'm just going to school you <laughs> and then shoot you with a shotgun. Stringer's name is a composite of two real Baltimore drug lords, Stringer Reed and Roland Bell. His story bears many similarities to the life of Kenneth A. Jackson, specifically his crossover from the illegal drug trade to legitimate business ownership and political contributions. And isn't that kind of like 
that's like the godfather concept of like you know eventually the goal is to no longer be in a no longer be a drug dealer but be a legitimate businessman and, and but it's very hard to leave all that behind you right yes once you're you know once as soon as i thought i was out they pull me back in you can't you can't well, get that- out that and you like a lot of legitimate businesses are fronts. You you see that a lot in you know TV and you know movies about the drug trade where they will have legitimate businesses because they have to have them to launder money. Right. The character of Bunk Morlin is based on real life Baltimore detective Oscar Rick the Bunk Requir. Requir? R E Q U E R. Wrecker? Sure. Wrecker? I don't know. <laughs> He's got two nicknames. We'll just call him the Bunk or Rick. The real bunk also constantly chomped on a cigar and had a taste for fashion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> While it's widely considered one of the best dramas of all time, having appeared at the top of lists published by Entertainment Weekly, Slate, HitFix, and Complex, it never won an Emmy. Which I think is just so crazy. That is very crazy. Uh, one been, of the characters... I was no, going to say, it could have been also the time that it was airing. It had some some pretty big competition when it was coming, when, I mean, it was, when it was airing, right? I mean, you're dealing, it with, did. Sup- you're dealing with Sopranos <laughs> a lot of those years. Dealing with the West Wing a lot of those years, which won a lot of Emmys, I think, if, I, if, yeah. I, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. Uh, one character that, did, that we didn't mention was a female character called Snoop. And Stephen King was quoted to say Snoop was, quote, perhaps the most terrifying female villain to ever appear in a television series. She's awesome. Yes, she is. And and she's one of those characters you kind of, at first you're like, oh, I'm not going to like her. No, that's not true. The first first scene you see her in, you love her. Like, she's awesome. She's in there talking to the the guy in, like, the Home Depot, (laughs) talking about the the nail gun. Like, basically, what's going to be, and it just gives them all the cash. (laughs) And and then, but then she starts killing people that you kind of like. You're like, oh, I don't know. But as she just grows on you. Like, I, I think Snoop's a really interesting character that that you kind of, again, you don't necessarily side with, but she's she sometimes somehow captivates. She's not very physically imposing. She just captivates the audience when she's on screen. The Wire consistently brought in low ratings, which this is probably why it almost got canceled. The final season ran with an audience of less than one million, which let's compare that to Breaking Bad. At over 10 million viewers for its finale. Crazy. Crazy. In all of the five seasons, only one police officer fires his gun. Wow. Uh, who Prez, is Roland? Prez Belusky. Yeah, yeah, Prez Belusky. Uh, or Prez. And even he sets off his gun a total of three times. And all by accident. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty nuts. Because you shot a wall in the second episode. <laughs> David Simon, and this kind of goes to your to a comment that you just made. He admitted to adding more humor than he initially intended to make the show more watchable and less depressing, which kind of makes sense because if it was just all about that without some of the kind of the humor cutting in, whether it was Bunk or or Jimmy or any of the other characters, yeah, it would be a really depressing show. Well, I think that's why people have a hard time getting through Oz because there is no comedy in that show. It is no, it's all it serious. Is, it is the most gut wrenching. It is hard to watch it's, sometimes. It slaps you in the face. It really does. <clears throat> yeah, and 
actually, uh, while I was doing research this research for this, I found that it is The Wire is currently number six on IMDb's list of the top-rated TV shows as rated by IMDb users. Yeah, it's one of those shows, and I, I would say I'd put it up there with probably Arrested Development that <clears throat> I think was maybe, I don't want to call it before its time, but it was underappreciated at its time. And since mm-hmm. since it's come out, people have really like come to love it. And you can tell that just by like the ratings and the, I mean, the Emmys aren't the end all be all, but it didn't, did win one for what people now widely consider. Like it'll be on the top of HBO original series. A lot of people will put wire number one ahead of Sopranos as far as what they think the best show that HBO ever came out with. What I will say, no, and I, and I, I will say the reason why it would, for me, what, what makes it so great is that it just, just ends well like it had a really great arc with all the characters i thought it was just very well done it didn't let me down at all is kind of what i was hoping would happen whereas if even i mean i know we talk about game of thrones but let's throw sopranos in there too those both had some pretty awful endings like historically terrible endings that for me like even looking back on it now with sopranos you know the, the last season was so bad and i don't really even care about the way the finale ended i i, I was fine with that the last season was just so bad and boring and really just lazy that it kind of take it diminishes, it takes away from how good the show was leading up to that. And I think The Wire doesn't do that. No, no. It was pretty much solid all the way through. Very consistent. Very consistent. So, well, people, like I people said. Would, people would say season two maybe is, is the low point, which, you know, I kind of I <laughs> get. But I also really like, what's his name? Uh, uh, Porn Stash. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's you know the the the, the brother or the I'm sorry the ne- the nephew that's in that show. He's uh he's pretty good in it as well. Um, anyway, so that, that that's season two. Season two is the one that maybe people don't like as much, but I I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, so I'm I'm currently in the middle of rewatching it, and um, yeah, for a for a crime drama series, if that's what you're into, you this has to be at the top of your list for whatever you're going to watch next and really should probably be at the top of your list of what you're going to watch next. If you haven't seen it anyways, regardless of what kind of TV show you like. Yeah. And it's really not that long either. It's worth, I mean, they're hour long episodes, but there are a lot of other shows like we're, we're trying to attempt watching ER right now. And that is like the longest, longest show, 15 seasons. It just keeps going 22 episodes a season. This one's manageable and, and definitely will, will keep you on the edge of your seat. So check it out. It's pretty great. Definitely. All right. Well, I think we kind of broke down some pretty good shows. Talked a little bit about 2000s TV. One more decade to go, right? One more. One more. And I got to tell you, having looked at the preliminary list of 2000 teens or tens, teens, however you want to say it, the show that, you know, from 2010 to 2020, man, there's some pretty freaking good ones on there too. It's going to be tough to choose the ones we want to really dive into. It's going to be tough to choose one, but we'll right. just have to dedicate some episodes to some deep dives into ones that didn't quite make the cut. 100%. All right. So that's about it. Part five, Nerd Outreach. I guess we'll do some thank yous. So, anybody you want to thank? Uh, I just wanted to um, say Happy Father's Day to all the, all the fathers out there. And I guess thanks, Dad. <laughs> I think that's an appropriate thank you from both of us. Thank you, Dad. Thank you to all the fathers out there. Keep up the good work.
Definitely. <laughs> Go, Dad. Do what you want to today. Relax. <laughs> yep. So for some future show suggestions, as always, you can send them via email to nerdisthenewcoolpodcast at gmail.com or use the hashtag Nerd is the new cool podcast on any of the socials. Connect with us by liking or follow us on Facebook, Instagram at Nerd is the new cool podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at Nerd is the new CO2. And where can you listen to this podcast? Well, pretty much everywhere you can. You typically listen to podcasts: Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. You just search for Nerd is, Nerd is the new cool podcast. Finally, our next episode preview. John, do you want to talk about this one real quick? I know you're very excited. This is for you. It's going to be, I I teased it a little bit during our Legends of Rock episode because I didn't really go into it very much. And it is going to be about Led Zeppelin. The rise and the, not really the fall, but really kind of about the, the rise and more or less kind of the lasting impact of Led Zeppelin. Maybe the controversy. Some of the, some of the, some of the crazy stories that have been mentioned, you know, in books and and other podcasts and rumors and hearsay and you know all that good stuff. But then also a lot about the uh, kind of the history of the band and kind of how they came to be, and then go into some of those crazy stories from the road that everybody likes to hear. Yeah, we'll we'll bring a special guest on that claims quote. I know everything about Zeppelin, so we'll we'll see if he uh, lives up to that. He, uh, I'll say, he probably knows a lot. Okay, well, then that hopefully will teach a lot of other people a lot as well. Definitely. Cool. Well, until next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye bye. <laughs>